0: Have your Bibles with you, and you want to turn there I'm uh, going to be taking some scripture out of the book of Daniel in uh, chapter six, and uh, you know I believe it was the reason the Lord laid that song on my heart, and you know that this uh, this particular message I was uh, I kind of had it on my mind all day about uh, you know this world is not our home. This is not the place that we're meant to stay at, you know, that I think that if you sit down and read in the book of Ecclesiastes, and, and, and the author of Ecclesiastes, which is widely held to be King Solomon, that he talks about everything's vanity, uh, vanities and vexation and grasping for the wind, and that he begins to look around and realize that, hey, you know, this world... It's temporary. It's not going to last. And it says of Abraham there in Hebrews chapter 11 said that uh, he was a man who was searching for a city whose builder and maker was God. Uh, and that we need to understand that this world is not our home and that we need to begin to start acting like it that we're uh, heavenly minded but not so much so that we're no earthly good. And I, I can think of, uh, of several examples in the Old Testament in which that people had to go and live in a Place that wasn't their home. Uh, uh, and Daniel was one of them, you know, that uh, uh, at this particular point uh, in the book of Daniel, I believe Daniel is not a young man anymore at this point, uh, uh, that he spent many years uh, in a place that's not his home. Uh, that they took him and a few others uh, and they dragged them there as a Babylon, uh, uh, that they wounded them and uh, they put them in the king's court uh, uh, and they put them to work. And Daniel was diligent in serving God uh, in an unholy holy land Uh, and at this point in Daniel's life uh, he served under, he's seen kings come and go Uh, uh, but God has been right there with him the whole time, Uh, he's seen a king uh, Nebuchadnezzar come before God uh, and be humbled by him Uh, and Daniel, you know Nebuchadnezzar went on uh, and Nebuchadnezzar's son come along uh, and he was uprooted and now uh, uh, Daniel's on another one uh, and he finds himself now doing his job, Uh, he's a wise man and he's working for the king but most importantly he's serving his God and I can tell you that when you set out uh, and you put God first in your life uh, and He begins to bless you uh, that other people ain't going to like it. Uh, they're going to look at your blessing uh, and they're going to covet it. Uh, they're going to say they don't deserve it. Uh, they're going to say uh, uh, that, that, that it shouldn't be yours. Uh, and the truth is any Christian knows uh, that all the blessings of God you don't deserve. But He's your Heavenly Father and He'll give to whom He'll give. And we acknowledge him in that, and here in the book of Daniel, in chapter six, uh, uh, that we'll find now. Uh, and of course, if you've ever read anything in Daniel chapter six, uh, you know it culminates with Daniel uh, 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 being saved uh, from the den of lions. But what I want you to notice uh, is when the men set a trap up for him, uh, and, and it says now uh, uh, that any time that our enemy comes against us uh, and they rush in like a flood, uh, uh, that the Lord will raise up a standard for us. Uh, Uh, He will do the fighting. Uh, All we have to do is trust him. Uh, And so there's men a-gunning for Daniel. And they're trying to take him down. They're trying to get him in hot water and mess him up uh, because they want his job. They want to knock him out of the way. Uh, and, And we'll start reading at verse 3 in Daniel chapter 6. It says, Then this Daniel was preferred... Above the presidents and princes, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom. But they could find none occasion nor fault for as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. Now, now, pause right there for a second. and I can tell you that any success you've ever seen me enjoy, that I can tell you that it's all founded upon the Most High God. I don't have a good enough memory. I'm not smart enough, strong enough fast enough I I can't do it all on my own I think Daniel when he was a young man if we read back at the beginning of this book uh, Daniel it said purposed in his heart uh, that he decided uh, he was going to put God first Uh, when they went to bring him food that was considered unclean from the king's table uh, he said I won't eat that I won't defile myself Uh, and it wasn't like that it was in the food but it was in the obedience to the most high God and it says now that, that he, he told the man that was in charge of him he said just feed us this food uh, and the man said yeah but if you, if you suffer and get sick it's my neck on the line and Daniel said well try us, uh, and see uh, and it says that God blessed him uh, uh, and that they were uh, better looking better skinned than everybody else uh, because God saw fit to bless them uh, at another point in the next chapter we find uh, that old Nebuchadnezzar he has a dream uh, and he decides He's going to kill everybody And Daniel interprets the dream And the first thing that he says Is he says "No, I can't interpret your dream right. Now imagine the guys that brought him And say he said what? Just like Joseph did, but in front of the Pharaoh, Joseph stood up and said, no man can do what you're asking, but there's a God in heaven. And that's what Daniel said. He said, my God has so fit to reveal to me that Daniel serves his God diligently. And then on over into the third chapter, you find that Daniel's not there, but his friends are there. And they go into the fiery furnace because they look at Nebuchadnezzar and they say, we'll not serve your gods. We'll not bow down, do your worst and we're going to trust God and it says that they're blessed and they come through it and then in the fourth chapter, we find that Nebuchadnezzar, now he gets a decree from God. He goes crazy. The fourth chapter essentially ends out with Nebuchadnezzar writing it himself and saying, I looked up when my sanity returned to me and I understood that God is the most high God. He gives to whom you give. He takes from whom he'll take. And there's nobody that can stop him or stand in his way. And then in the fifth chapter, we have another little... Piddly king that comes along and he don't last long. The handwriting on the wall for him yeah. tells him you've been weighed in the balance, oh, yeah. found to be wanting. And Daniel, he brought Daniel in and said, "I'll give you all these gifts." And Daniel said, "You can keep your gifts. I neither need nor want them." You're right. And Daniel had interpreted, and kings come and went, and we find Daniel here in chapter six. Now, and the next king is wanting to set Daniel up over over top of everybody else, and they've looked and they've searched, and they said, "This guy's too good to be true. He's got to have some skeletons in his closet." And let me tell you this, it's not that Daniel was perfect, but that he purposed in his heart to serve his God. That if you remember, way back at the beginning, one of the first things that it said about Daniel was they made him a eunuch. Oh yeah. Means they physically mutilated him. They castrated him. And so they really took away one of the biggest distractions that men walk around with a lot of times. They put him in a position and he said, you know what? Even though they've done all this bad stuff to me and I've not done anything wrong, I'm going to serve God. And now he's an older man and they're trying to find occasion against him. But yet he knows Babylon's not his home. No different than Abraham walking around all of his life and it was as though he was looking for something. And then the writer of Hebrews said it very plainly when he said he's a pilgrim and he's a sojourner and he's looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. Nothing down here would satisfy him. And he kept looking because he knew that God had a place for him. And I believe Daniel believed that just the same. Joseph was in a similar situation. He sojourned in Egypt, but he said right at the end of his life, he was 110 years old if my memory serves me, right? He had all the ones that were left and he'd seen his grandchildren. I think he'd seen his great-great-grandchildren if I remember, right? He calls them all around him and he says, now listen to me. God will surely visit you down here in Egypt. Not might or ought to, but He will he believed it because he'd heard because all the way back when God was telling Abraham he would make a great nation out of him one of the things he said is he said they'll sojourn in a land that's not their own and after 400 years I'm going to bring them out and I'm going to bring them to a land flowing with milk and honey and Joseph took that promise and he stood upon it and he said when God does you, when he brings you out carry my bones up from hence because this place is not my home church. This world is not your home. We need to be looking to God and looking to a city that's only been described to us. And so we find Daniel now. These guys thinking they're gonna put him in hot water. Oh, yeah. They tried every way they could. They searched every record, and I believe they did. I believe they got down every little thing that he'd ever done. They examined him and they couldn't find any error. Not even an honest mistake as we would say. Nothing. They couldn't find the goods. And let me tell you something. That won't stop people when they are arrayed against a Christian. They'll make stuff up if they have to. And so now they got clever. And it says in the next verse, verse 5. Then said these men, we shall not find any occasion against this Daniel. Except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. They knew what they believed would be Daniel's weakness. But it's hard to call something that is the very place that Daniel gets his strength from as a weakness. That our service to God may land us in trouble from time to time. But I tell you, it's better to get in trouble following God than it is to be safe and sound following the world because this world is not your home. This is not your place. You are a pilgrim and a sojourner. And so they devised. And it says in verse, uh, verse 6, Then these presidents and princes assembled together to the king and said unto him, King Darius, live forever." All the presidents of the kingdom, the governors and the princes, the counselors and the captains have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or any man for forty days, save save of thee, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions. Uh, uh, That they appealed to the king's pride. Uh, These guys were clever uh, and and they set it up perfectly and they said now for thirty days, uh, an entire calendar month, uh, nobody should make any petition to anybody except for you king no gods or anything like that and so king Darius says well that sounds alright to me and it says now in verse 8 now king establish the decree and signed the writing that it be not changed according to the law the Medes and the Persians which altereth not wherefore king Darius signed the writing and the decree and so the track is set oh yeah they said we can't Find any occasion against Daniel so we'll pass a law that will make Daniel's practice illegal. And let me tell you something, church. That is not too far fetched in 21st century America. Ah, that's, what I was thinking. that's not too far out in the future. We may, it may be easy to sit back and say, that'll never happen. And they said it about a great many other things, too. When they brought a case in the Supreme Court to take prayer out of the schoolhouse, people sat back and said, that'll never happen. When they legalized abortion, they sat back and said, that'll never happen. Let me tell you something, though. No, We put our trust in God and know that this world is not on our side and they won't fight fair. That if you walk around in this world and you began to look at the tail of the tape of following Christ, taking up your cross and following Him, you would find that there's a lot of fear. Uh, there's a lot of anger. Uh, there's a lot of things to be worried about. Uh, but know this, greater is He that's in you uh, than He that's in the world. Uh, uh, that we have a God in heaven uh, and in trusting His Son uh, uh, that God says you'll not lose. Oh, yeah. And so they set the trap on Daniel. And I love Daniel's response. Verse 10 says, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house, and his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed, and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. Three times a day, Daniel would go, throw his windows open to Jerusalem. Because Babylon was not his home. Right. He was looking to a city that though Jerusalem was a wreck at this time, now it was going to be rebuilt. The temple was going to come back and be established. But Daniel was looking to where the mercy seat of God was. Somewhere there in Jerusalem. You see that Jeremiah had taken the ark and hid it somewhere. But Daniel knew it's in Jerusalem. And the Most High God, that's where his mercy seat is at. And that's what he was appealing to. And he knew I would have never made it to Darius had I not trusted my God. I believe at this point Daniel was just saying this is just one more thing. This is just yet another instance in which God's going to show them how strong He is in my life. So Daniel didn't hesitate. It was business as usual for Daniel. And maybe he was... Maybe he was looking around saying, apparently these guys haven't heard about what happened when they came up against Nebuchadnezzar, and my God... And how Nebuchadnezzar threw my three friends into the fiery furnace and they come out and didn't even smell like smoke. And Daniel prayed. He said, I'm not worried about your dinner lines because I know that I can go through the fiery furnace and come out on the other side because that this world can do me no hurt unless God says it can. And so Daniel trusted God because he trusted the God of everything. Because he knew Babylon and home, I'm a pilgrim in a strange land. Oh, yes. You are a pilgrim in a strange land. And let me tell you, if you don't find yourself trusting God, but allied with the world, I can tell you all it will ever do is bring problems. Oh, yes. Things may be smooth sailing for a little while, but I can tell you that the tide will turn on you. Oh yes. And so it says now in verse 11, Then these men assembled... And found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. Then they came near and spake before the king concerning the king's decree. Hast thou not signed a decree that every man shall ask a, that every man that shall ask a petition of any god? or man within thirty days save of the king, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. The king answered and said, The thing is true according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which altereth not. Then answered they and said before the king, That Daniel, which is of the children of the captivity of Judah, regardeth not thee, O king, nor the decree that thou assign, but maketh petition three times a day. Uh, Nothing that they said was untrue. right. Daniel had broken the law. But it's kind of what the Apostle Peter looked at the Sanhedrin court when they brought him and John up before him. And he said, You judge amongst yourselves. And figure out whether or not that I should hearken to the will of God or to the will of man. That we have that choice in everything that we do. We can regard man or we can regard God. And I can tell you this, Jesus said, do not fear those that can destroy the body, but fear the one that can throw both body and soul into the devil's hell. And so Daniel wasn't worried about them. He wasn't worried about any lies. Now let me tell you this, Daniel had no guarantee that he wouldn't go into that lion's den and meet his end. (laughs) Or those den of lions, I should say. I I think we need to be clear. It wasn't a lion that Daniel was going to be dealing with. It was a den of lions. Multiple lions, although to be perfectly honest, for me, one lion would be more than enough to take me out. (laughs) So, but you see the odds were stacked so heavily against Daniel here. And I love that they think, you know, it's just like Nebuchadnezzar when he said, heat the furnace seven times hotter. Oh, yeah. It killed the men that threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in. It was hot enough to kill. Nobody could sit back and say, oh no, that fire wasn't hot. It was some weird looking fire that really can't hurt anybody because it was so hot it killed the men that threw them in. And this den of lions, it removed all doubt. Anybody going in there uh, into a den of hungry lions, uh, they wasn't coming out. Uh, They wouldn't fight them off. Uh, They couldn't hide from them. They couldn't get away. And that's what Daniel's facing. And I'll go ahead and go out on a limb here and say I don't think Daniel was really too awfully worried. You see, a lot of times in our lives, here's what happens. We have a difficulty laid out before us and we get a dread on us. Yes, And that's human. That's human nature to dread things. But also, let's remember to give God room to work in our lives. Because a testimony doesn't come because you avoided something. It comes because you made it through. It comes because that you went into the den of lions uh, to assure death uh, and came out on the other side. Uh, and so Daniel, uh, uh, while they're devising these things against him, uh, and we'll not read all the rest of it for time's sake, uh, but it says now that the king, King Darius, really liked Daniel. Oh, yeah. But he couldn't change the decree or change the law. He would have broken the law. And it was essentially that he was not above the law. Right. That's a very interesting notion. And so... He tries every way he can until sundown to figure it out. And he can't figure a way out for Daniel. There's but one way and that's through. And you see, that's the way that we need to view this world. There's but one way and that's through it. And that's through it by the power and the might of the Most High God. Not because you're clever enough, strong enough, or fast enough, but rather because God says you'll make it. I say to you that if He says it, you can take it as a guarantee. You're going to make it. Because now it says in verse 16, we'll jump down there. Then the king commanded, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. Now the king spake and said unto Daniel, Thy God whom thou servest continually, He will deliver thee. That I believe Darius, he knew that that was Daniel's only hope. That he didn't look around like Nebuchadnezzar and say, now who's going to save you from my hand? But he said, Daniel, trust in your God. And I've had sinner people kindly tell me, trust in your God. And I look at them and say, always. I always do. No matter what I'm doing. You may not see me praying all the time, but I've continually got a prayer in my heart because I know I want to be close to God. I want to be close to Him continually. And Daniel didn't get this way accidentally. All the way back in chapter 1, it says he purposed in his heart. He said he was going to serve God. Any time that somebody's in a strange land that you read about in this book, they'll purpose in their heart. Joseph, if you've ever studied the life of Joseph, he never did anything to deserve what happened to him right. as far as the world was concerned. Yes. That when that, uh, he was sold into slavery, all he was doing was what his father told him. Yeah. Come to his brother's. To, to bring word of them back to his father. They took him. They were going to kill him. Oh, yeah. They already said, well, let's just kill him. Ain't nobody around. It'll be our little secret. And of course, Reuben says, don't kill him. Talks him out of it. Put him in a pit. Yes. Takes his coat of many colors. Oh, yeah. Dips it in blood. Sells him off. And tells her father he's dead. right. At some point, I imagine Joseph realized, there's nobody coming for me. There's nobody coming to help me. But he remembered a God. Oh, yes. And you see, you read about the patriarchs before Joseph. You read about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and God manifested Himself to them. But there's no recording of that happening with Joseph. The most remarkable thing about Joseph is that he remained diligent to serving the will of God without God ever having to manifest Himself to him. And if you study the life of Joseph, you'll find that when Jacob left Laban... Joseph, by my reckoning and by my calculations, Joseph was a little boy and hadn't been corrupted by Laban's pagan religions like Reuben and Simeon and Levi and Judah and Gad and Asher and Zebulun and Naphtali had. That, that Joseph, he hadn't been corrupted and he believed the story. That's why that he said at the end of his life, God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land of Egypt and bring you back to your home." Because this isn't your home. And I tell you tonight, uh, this world is not your home. You don't need to make friends with it or peace with it or anything else. Uh, You fight your way through it. Uh, Just like the World War II soldiers uh, when they were in Europe, uh, the the American men, when they landed on D-Day, they said the only way back home uh, was through victory uh, in order to win. Uh, And so they said they fought uh, like somebody that wanted to go home. You need to fight like somebody that wants to go home and trust God. That He's got that place. When Jesus said in John chapter 6, or John chapter 14, He said, I go away to prepare a place for you. I'm making a spot for you. I've got your home and it's not down here. This is just a temporary world. And so now Daniel, after the king has told him this, it says in verse 17, and a stone was brought and laid upon the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own singet and with the singet of his lords that the purpose might not be changed according to Daniel or concerning Daniel. Literally what the king did is, if you broke the king's seal you got killed for that. Yes. So he sealed it and it couldn't be broken. There was no way out for Daniel. There was only through. And you see that's at the point when every hope in this world is gone, that then it removes all doubt as to what happened when you come out on the other side. That when we trust our God, and He answers us, and there is no doubt, and we're able to attribute it to Him. Because notice it says in verse 18, Then the king went to his palace and passed the night fasting. Oh, yeah. Neither were instruments of music brought before him. His sleep went from him. The king spent a sleepless night. I'll go out on a limb here and say, I'd say Daniel had a nice lion-shaped pillow oh, that hell. night. I believe Daniel was well-rested. But you'll notice in verse 19 it says, Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste to the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. And the king spake and said, Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God whom thou servest continually able to deliver thee from the lions? That it was a doubt to the king that the Jehovah God, the Jehovah Jireh, the Most High, that he could save Daniel. Daniel from this calamity. And then verse 21 says, Then said Daniel unto the king, O king, live forever. My God has sent his angel and has shut the lion's mouths uh, that they have not hurt me, for as much as before him innocency was found in me, and also before thee, O King, I have done no hurt. Uh, that Daniel uh, told him, he said, My God saved me. Uh, he sent his angel. Close their mouths. The lions didn't bother me. They couldn't hurt me. Let me tell you something. The Apostle Paul in the 8th chapter of the book of Romans. He said that I reckon that the sufferings of this life are not even worthy to be compared to what waits us on the other side. This world is not your home. You have a better place. And this old world is not it. People are running around and they're trying to live comfortably in this world. And it grieves me in my spirit to hear preachers, so-called preachers, get up and preach a gospel that says that you should be comfortable in this world. Uh To be a friend of the world is enmity with God. I'm not saying to be to not be friends with sinners but what I am saying is that those sinners should know that there are lines that you will not cross there are ideas that you will not amen or consent to that there are things that will come along and you'll say I will not do this thing and sin against my God Joseph drew that line with Potiphar's wife she grabbed a hold of him And said, Oh, yeah, this is going to happen. And Joseph saturated that area with his absence. He said, Shall I do this thing and sin against God? He could have looked around and said, You know, my life's been pretty crummy up to this point. Why not? But instead he said I will not sin against my God who sustains me. When he was down in the depths of the prison he still regarded God and God was still using him. When he was brought out of the prison and they cleaned him up they had to clean him up before they brought him before Pharaoh. And when he had a man running before him saying bow the knee here comes Joseph that Joseph still regarded God first. Because when his Henri runt brothers come before him he brought them to a point of repentance a lot of people say he was toying with them no he was making bringing them to a repentant state because they looked around and reasoned within themselves and said this is happening to us because of what we did to Joseph and he was innocent he had not worshipped their pagan gods that they brought with them from Laban's home Joseph trusted in the most high God And then when Joseph revealed himself to him, he told him, he said, you meant it for bad. You were friends with the world. And if you read about the patriarchs and you read an honest reading in the book of Genesis, you'll say, and these are the, these are the high muckety mucks? And you look at the stuff that they did? Genesis chapter 38 is one of those that I don't expect to ever preach a sermon out of in which that Judah impregnates his own daughter-in-law because he thinks she's a prostitute. I'm telling you, I don't know why that's in there, but I know God had it put in there for a reason. But I can tell you this, that Joseph was God's man in God's place at God's time. And Joseph looked around at Egypt and he said, this isn't my home. He said, I may not leave here alive. He said, but I know that I'm going to get to go home. And you see, we should look at this world as a battlefield. Oh, yes. And on that battlefield, and my cousin, she's married to a man who served in the Army. I've never served, and I thank God for the men that have. But I was talking with him, and he served over in Afghanistan, and I think even did some time over in Iraq that, uh, you know, he fought. he said, I asked him, I said, what did it feel like when you were over there? he said, even when we were back at our base, we knew it wasn't home. Right. And I said, and when you were out on patrol, he said, there was danger everywhere. Yes. And he said, I was scared all the time. Worried that at any moment, any loud noise, any sound, that there wasn't safety. He said, When I got off that plane and made it back here to the United States and put my feet on this sovereign soil, he said, I knew that I was as safe as I could be in this world. And I can tell you, I got to thinking about that, and it makes me emotional, thinking about there are dangers all around us. We have enemies everywhere we look. Our adversary, the devil, walking about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. But I tell you this, there's a place, Brother Dennis, waiting on us where it's safe and it's sound. And we don't have to worry. Death can't enter in. There's no more tears. And it's going to be wonderful over there. And that's what we're fighting for. That Daniel looked at this world and he said this world ain't worth worrying about. And it ain't. Job looked around and he said, I know that my Redeemer lives. He's just out of sight. That I think about when Jesus is praying for essentially all of us there toward the end of the Gospel according to John, the 17th chapter, if my memory serves me right, right before that he's taken, and he's praying, and he, he prays for the disciples, he said, who believed at My Word? And he said, and though they're in the world, Lord, keep them from the world. <laughs> Meaning that, yes, they've got to walk about in this world, but God protect them. And then he prayed and said, and prayed for all the ones that would believe at their word. That's you and me. Jesus Himself, I tell you, I get goose pimples. Holy ghost bumps (laughs) when I read that part because somebody's praying for me uh, and it was the Son of the Most High. uh, uh, That He was looking around and saying, this world uh, ain't your home. Don't get comfortable here. Uh, Because you think about how you feel when you go to somebody's house as a guest. Oh, you'll use the facilities, but you know they're not yours. And a lot of people though, it's like that they're looking around and saying, no, all this stuff is mine and I get to keep it. But you see, really when you count up your riches, just look at what money can't buy and death can't take away and that's how rich you are. And all of it is going to burn. Melt with a fervent heat. This world, it's not our home. And we need to remind ourselves that every day. If the house that you live in right now burns to the ground... Yes, it will be bad and you will suffer loss. But you yourself will be saved. And you think about everything in this world, none of it's worth dying and going to hell for. Right, Because you know, this world ain't our home and all this stuff is temporary. You know, I've heard people talk about eternal security. Yeah. And, and, and it's a doctrine that some agree with, some don't. But I can tell you this, that's the only kind of security I'm interested in. Oh, yeah. I believe that my eternal security will happen when His heart stops uh, and I go into the bosom of the Most High uh, that Jesus brings me forth. Uh, uh, and then when He reunites uh, uh, my spirit and my body because Paul said there in Thessalonians, uh, he said that what will happen uh, is that the Lord will appear uh, and the dead shall rise first uh, and then those that are alive uh, will be caught up with them and changed uh, in the twinkling of an eye uh, uh, that the corruptible will be turned into the Incorruptible, because yeah. this world is all nothing but corruption. It's corrupt, right. and you ought not get attached. You know, nobody—I I don't think anybody's known me very long—would accuse me of being a, an animal person. Now, my wife, very much so; me, not so much. And finally, one of my kids asked me, "Daddy, why aren't you big on getting animals?" And I said, "Because it breaks my heart when they die." You see, their lives are so much shorter than ours. And I get attached. And it's hard to give them up. A dog that'll be so happy when you get home, they ain't no love like that hardly. Uh, I'm telling you that they're always happy to see you. I don't care if you were gone five days or five minutes. Uh, They give you a great homecoming. But their lives are just so short and so temporary. And that's the way I've gotten to view this world. It's temporary. I'm 42 years old right now. If the Lord blesses me to live too awful much longer, I'll be older than my own father ever was. And I can tell you that when uh, that Solomon wrote the words and said, this life is but a breath and but a vapor, uh, he wasn't kidding uh, that it can be easily spent. Uh, but what I'm looking at is not eternal things down here. Uh, this flesh always wants more. It's never satisfied. Uh, there's always another worry, another concern, another hurt, uh, another heartache. Uh, but there's a home uh, over on the other side uh, where we never have to worry again. We'll never hunger. We'll never thirst. Uh, and Everything will be perfect. We will be satisfied once and for all. And then, you know, the, the thing about it is, and I don't think, because I've always said any sermon that's preached ought to be anchored to Christ. Because if it isn't, then it won't hold. Because it's not all on Him. It doesn't matter. Because I'm, I'm going to turn, and, and, and you, you can turn there too if you want to. It's in Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians. And uh, it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And uh, we'll start reading at verse 12. What Paul says to the Corinthians here. And I love how it follows. He says, Now if Christ be preached that He rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? He goes on and says, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain and your faith also is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that He raised up Christ whom He raised not up. If so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised your faith is vain. Yea, ye are yet in your sins then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. He's saying if what you're saying is true then there is no hope. But then in the next verse, in verse 19, he says, If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable, but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. That he said, look, if Jesus rose, you'll rise too. And Jesus said, I go away to prepare a place for you. But if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then let's close the doors and go to the house and just forget all about this. But I tell you, church, that He rose from the dead yeah. on that third day. Uh, and He's alive at the right hand of the Father uh, forevermore. Uh, he's got a place that He's made for us. Uh, he's going to welcome us in, uh, whether we're raptured out uh, or whether we go by way of death. Yes. And if you don't have that hope, there is something wrong. Oh yeah, And you can get it tonight. If you're shaky on your foundation, I would like to think that everybody here believes every word that I just read. That Jesus is raised from the dead and He was the first to do it. And when He got up out of that grave, it gives us victory because He lives, we can live also. Because if He didn't, then we're not going to either. Because He was the sinless Son of the Most High God. And you see, that makes me look around at this world and say, it's all temporary. Oh, yes. It's not going to last. Things that last hundreds of years still, they're not going to continue. You know, I, I tell my students, you know, when we talk about the solar system, and I tell them, I say, now the sun's going to run out of fuel eventually. Scientists have calculated and they've come up with a range. And you know, so uh, some of them will get worried and say, well, how much longer will it be, Mr. Williamson? And I say, well, we've got to, uh, the minimum estimate is a few million years. And they go, <laughs> don't really have to worry about that one, then I? That's one thing in which that their lifespan being shorter is okay. Yeah. But then I, I can't help it. But I'll add, but I doubt that it'll last that long. Right. Because I believe God will look at his son and say, son, go get your bride. Yes, yes. And it says with a mighty shout, yes. <laughs> "Oh <yes. laughs> he'll come down. You know, I remember the day I got married 23 plus years ago. They had me, we got married down there at the Wayne Church of God. And they had that little room there, that the clerk's office. And I was waiting out there. Brother Otis Bowens, he performed our ceremony. He come out and got me. He said, it's time. And I couldn't help Brother Dennis but just have a big smile on my face. (laughs) You know, it it worries me when some grooms, they ain't smiling. This is what I wanted. This was what I was waiting for. And I love the way that they do it. And I think that it should be symbolic of Christ and the church. That you see there's a separation between them. And they had those double doors there into the sanctuary closed and I was standing up there with Brother Otis uh, and my cousin Daniel. He was my best man and my two brothers with me standing up there. Uh, and they opened those doors uh, and, 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 and the, the bridesmaids coming a- marching up the aisle. Uh, and you know, the music messed up. <laughs> she didn't come down the aisle to anything but silence. And maybe me sniffling a little bit because I was weeping so happy. She was finally mine. And you see, when she came down that aisle, and just because there wasn't any music didn't mean we didn't get married that day, Brother Dennis. And I've told lots of young couples, I'm like, look, this wedding works if you leave here married. Everything else can go wrong. And she marched her way up to that aisle. And when we stood before the Most High God and our friends and our family, and I took a vow to love her regardless of what happened in our lives. And I meant every word of it. And I know she meant her words. And those vows are nowhere near as great as when Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that are labored and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. I'll stick with you closer than a brother. And so when God looks at him and says, Son, go get your bride, I know what it means when it says, with a mighty shout, Woo! Hallelujah. And He goes and gets His bride. And that's what we should be looking forward to. That when we see Him in the air, here I am, Lord. The others will be saying, rocks, fall on me. But we'll say, I done fell on the rock. And here I am, Lord. And I know that it's because of You that I get to come up because I'm not good enough, but You made it work. You see, because if a person sits down and begins to count up all their goods, If they were to begin to tally and to count it up, they would find that they're gonna come up short. Oh yeah. They've not given enough. They've not sacrificed enough and they can't and there's no more time left and time's running out. You imagine how scary that would be. And then to look around and it's like you're laying by the pool of Bethesda and you have no man. And I love that story. That man's laying there. And he's several people back from it. And he pretty well knows once the water gets troubled, he's probably not going to make it up there. But he's there at the longest of shots. The dimmest of hopes. And while he's laying there looking at the pool, maybe maybe a shadow comes over him. Jesus gets between him and the sun that's beating down on him. I don't know. This is just my imagination. And maybe he kind of just glances over, but he's still looking at the pool. Everybody was watching that water intently to see when it would stir that they might get what they need. And Jesus walks up and says, hey, would you be made whole? That simple question. Would you be made whole? Yeah, but I don't have a man. I don't have anybody to get me there. And Jesus just looks at him and says, take up your bed and walk out of here, buddy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And he feels something different. His legs feel different. Oh, yes. And he realizes that it's that man's word, that he had a man, and that yes. man came to him, found him. He knew that he didn't have enough to make it. You're right. And the man came to him yes. and commanded him to get up
1: yes. and walk.
0: Hallelujah. That what we need to know is we're not good enough, but we have a man. Oh, yes. He stands in the gap. And though we may feel like we're not enough in this old world that's not our home, He comes and says, I've adopted you. And I'm going back to get the house ready. And then I'm going to bring you in here. And oh, you're going to be satisfied. I think about that, a kid getting adopted. How joyous it must be that then they get to go to a home that's better than what they ever thought of. And that's what He is to us. And if He isn't, then why are you here if He's not everything to you? He's all. He's our prophet, priest, and high king, uh, the Son of the Most High God, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords. We are His bride, and He is the husbandman. And and we get to count on Him and His coming into this world and taking us back out His shore. And the worst, or the best that I can say to this world is pick whether you want the lion or the lamb. Yeah. John, when he seen Jesus come, John the Baptist, seen him coming up to get baptized. He said, Behold the Lamb of God, yeah. which taketh away the sin of the world. But when you get into the book of the Revelation, it talks about the lion of the tribe of Judah. Oh, yes. And then he come to deal with sin. And to snuff it out. He came that we might have life and that we have it more abundantly. But once we've turned Him away, there's nothing but death left. And that's it. You see, Daniel, if he'd looked around and panicked in his life when they were getting ready to throw him in that den of lions, he would have forsaken God. And I don't know what would have happened to him. But Daniel purposed in his heart, nobody accidentally makes it to heaven. They make it by the blood of the Lamb. And they purpose in their heart to hold to Him with everything that they can. And when they fall short, not if, but when they fall short, they know that He makes up the difference. I remember years ago, and I'll I'll hush after this. Years ago, back in the, uh, I guess it was the early 90s, whenever I tell stories like this to my students, they just look at me and say, gosh, you're old. I guess I am compared to you all. There was a, a, a real popular toy come out. Man, I wanted one so bad I could taste it. It was called a Super Soaker. It's a big, high-powered squirt gun. One of my cousins had got one. And I found out they'd just put in the Rite Aid down here in Wayne. It wasn't the Walgreens back then, and they had one. And it wasn't as big as the one my cousin got, but I wanted one. And I'd look for loose change. I had a few bucks here, yonder, and there. And, and, and to my shame, I wasn't very good at counting money then. I actually have a learning disability when it comes to that sort of thing. I found out when I was training to be a teacher. But anyway, I'd miscounted the money. And I went in there to buy it, thought I had enough, thought surely this is enough. And I set that thing up on the counter. And I had two silver dollars that I had gotten in change as quarters years before, and I'd kept them. Kept them in my little Velcro West Virginia University wallet, and i come in And I set that on the counter and I pile that money up there, you know, and the lady rings it up and everything goes to count the money and it wasn't enough. And I remember my eyes welled up with tears. I'd come up short by two dollars and I wrecked in that little West Virginia University wallet and those two precious little silver dollars that I had, I knew they'd put me over the top. And I got those out, and I guess that woman seen the tears in my eyes. And I plopped them down on the counter, and I said, "Now those are those are silver dollars; those ain't quarters." And you know, I, I I'd like to know that lady, cause of what she did for me that day. She slid that back across the counter. And she reached in her old pocket, and she paid the rest for me. i thought back about that thought about if we come before the great white throne judgment and we realize that well, we don't have enough. Mm-hmm. And the very one that really it was the most expensive too, he says, I've got you. I'll cover you. Oh, yeah. Every bit that you come up short, I'll make up the difference. Oh, yeah. That's what Jesus has done yeah. for me. Is he made up the difference as good as I am. Hell is full of pretty good people. Oh, yes. All for want of a Savior. Yes. That's it. You know, we hang all kinds of things on salvation, but it's literally, it's all on Jesus. Oh, yes. Him as a Savior, Him crucified, and that's it. That's all we need. Because He's our ticket out of this awful world. Oh, yes. And He'll make up the difference when we don't have enough to pay our own way. That's right. He'll make up the difference. Amen. <laughs> I hope this message has blessed you.